Welcome to Beyond Bite Wings, the business side of dentistry, brought to you by Edwards & Associates PC. Join us as we discuss how to build your dental practice, optimize your income, and plan for your future. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Edwards & Associates PC is not rendering legal, accounting, or professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information that is shared. At Edwards & Associates PC, our business is the business of dentistry. For help or more information, visit our website at enassociates.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Bite Wings. In today's episode, we will be talking about note funding. And to talk further about the subject matter, we have a very special guest. His name is Nathan Turner. Uh, he's been dealing with this and this type of a real estate investment for over a decade now. And, of course, our regular Robert's here, too. Good afternoon. Hi, Robert. And hello, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. How about you guys? We're doing good. Good. So I understand that we're doing this recording over Zoom today because um, Nathan is actually not in Texas right now, so he's not able to record within the studio. I think you sound great. I mean, I hear a little bit of background noise. It sounds like maybe you're traveling. I And I'm sorry if, if we get any announcements in the background. I'm actually at the airport right now. Oh, Wow. So that's that's me. That's a first for us, wouldn't you say, Rob? I would think so. Yes, and I'm just thinking the quietest place in the airport is probably in the bathroom. <laughs> I I think I found myself a spot in between speakers, so I, right. hopefully this will be okay. Okay, that's good. Like great, you know, Ash. I know you said this uh, episode was about note funding, but Nathan, tell us specifically what kind of notes and a little bit about it. You bet. So again, thanks for having me on, guys. This is uh, this is great. Um, so my expertise is that uh, I have been in residential mortgage notes for uh, goodness since 2008. So coming up on 15 years now. So it's been uh, it's been a long time, and I've really really enjoyed it. Um, and essentially, what that means is I am buying an existing mortgage. Uh, or in Texas, it's a deed of trust, but I'm buying that loan, whatever's attached to residential property. I, I essentially am becoming the bank to whoever's living in the property. So the, the bank is selling off the loan for all kinds of different reasons. Um, we can maybe get into that if you'd like, but, but anyway, they sell off all kinds of loans for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, I tend to buy actually from hedged funds. So the hedge funds will buy from the bank. I buy from the hedge funds. Uh, and essentially, like I say, I become the bank. And that puts me in a, a really cool position where I can control a property without actually owning it. And it's it's fantastic. It's such a fun business. Okay. And I guess I go back to your um, comment that you made, you know, why would the hedge funds or the banks or whoever, why would they be yeah. selling these notes? So a lot of the time, one of the, yeah, there's a few different things. A lot of the time they'll, they'll sell off these loans, um, because the people in the houses have stopped making payment for some reason, uh, at, you know, whether they lost their job or a divorce or some other life event has come in and uh, gotten in the way and they're not making payments on the, on their loan. Um, 
that happens a lot and I buy a lot of those. Uh, the other thing is just banks look to capitalize, recapitalize and get their money back so they can go out and do whatever banks do with their money. Uh, so they'll sell ones that are perfectly fine where people are making regular payments every month and I buy those as well. Um, and I, it's fun that I can get good yields because every time that these are sold, it's done so at a discount. So even if it's been performing perfectly, the person that's been making payments for the last five years, whatever it is, uh, the bank will just package that up and sell it just so they can get money back in the, in the coffers and do whatever they're going to do with it. Uh, but that gives me an opportunity to actually get a, a better return uh, and help people just stay in their house. Well, I guess with uh, rising interest rates, the banks have uh, sold off a lot of these so that they can get the money and then reloan it at higher rates. Right. That's exactly it. Yeah. Okay. What yeah. is there a problem with uh, defaults on these notes? I mean, what happens if, you know, and this is a fund, right? So people can, right. our clients could invest in this fund. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I set up a fund about a year or so ago and I'm gathering funds for that. But yeah, in the fund, I'll, I'll go and buy a, a note where I can collect on that. And sorry, I forgot the original question. Well, what, what happens if there are defaults? Oh, a default, yes. So here's the cool thing. And like I say, I get to kind of control the property without owning it. In the case of a default and we can't work something out, usually we can, by the way, about nine times out of 10, we can get into some kind of a conversation and work out some sort of payment plan and be able to keep people in there. More often than not, if and when I foreclose, it's because the property is vacant. And, and oftentimes that's because uh, the borrower, they quit paying because they passed away. And so I, I buy those from time to time where the borrower is no longer with us. And so in the case of default, the property is always my, my security. That's always kind of my backup plan. So I, it's a well-protected investment just by the fact that it's, that it's backed by the real estate in every case. So these are secured notes. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and you can buy non-secured if you want. I read about a guy that that used to buy credit card loans, which is great, and you can get those super cheap, and it sounds like a lot of fun, but the risk level is quite a bit higher as well. <laughs> sounds like a lot of risk. I don't, I don't know about the fun part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fun for some, I suppose. But no, that to, for me, that's too risky. I always buy first lien, residential-backed, loans and that's my that's my security so where are most of the properties that you buy these notes on where where's the security is it in canada is it in the united states is it in the south or i mean give us a general idea yeah you bet so i actually live in canada i live just outside of calgary alberta all of the notes that i buy everything that i've done since 2008 is all in the u.s so first of all they're all u.s properties notes attached to U.S. property. Uh, and then within the United States, it tends to be on the eastern half of the country for no real particular reason. That's just kind of what seems to be available. But it's from Texas all the way up to Michigan and pretty much everything in between. Uh, and I, I just get a, sent a list and I can choose off of that list which notes that I'm looking to buy, which loans, notes, whatever. I use those terms interchangeably. Whichever loans that I'm looking to purchase. I can just choose. So there might be 200 off of there. And I'd, maybe I look at that and say, well, I like these 10. 
whatever the case might be. And I go through and just make sure that all the numbers make sense and the property value is there. And, and then we strike a deal and off we go. So when you get those lists, how much due diligence do you do on the properties? So like I said, I buy first lien mortgages. So there are two real main things that I'm looking at. Of course, you know, whatever the interest rate is, when's the last time they made a payment, all those things are important as well. But in order to protect my investment, the things that I'm really looking at is property value. I want to make sure that if something goes wrong, if I do need to take back this property, that the property value is there. And then the other thing that I'm looking at is title. And I want to make sure that there's a clean bill title. No more other liens that made ahead of the first little mortgage and that would not property taxes or signal liens. And I can find all that out before I purchase any loan. And I do uh, just to make sure that I'm well protected. How much competition is there for, uh, you know, for those notes? I'm, I'm, I'm sure that those lists go to other people other than just you. That's true. They go out to uh, other note buyers and it's a funny thing. We all pretty much know each other. It's a relatively small community, maybe a couple thousand people in the U.S. and that's it. So we go to conferences. That's where I'm, I'm heading off to a conference now to go and speak. And uh, we all know each other and we, it's kind of a friendly competition. And partially that's because we're not necessarily look, looking for the same notes. We may be looking at the same list, but for example, I really like Texas notes. So I will look for Texas notes and somebody else really likes North Carolina notes. So they're looking at doing And so it, it divides out fairly well. Do you try to make sure that your notes are diversified geographically or do you focus really like you said on Texas? I like Texas, but they're really spread out all over the place. Texas is a great one to notes because uh, they've got some really landlord friendly, which translates into uh, lean lord friendly laws. Where if, like I say, I do need to foreclose, it's a fairly quick and easy process in Texas compared to other states. For example, Ohio, uh, it's a much longer process. And then how does a foreclosure affect an investor? I mean, it sounds negative. It sounds negative. So is it negative? Like if, if I invest in your fund and you have some foreclosures, is that a good thing for me as an investor? Or is that a bad thing? Sounds bad. It, I know it does sound bad and nobody likes to, uh, to kick around that word. The truth is it's actually at worst, it makes no difference at best. It's actually a better case scenario. Like I say, I'm always checking the value of the property before I purchase. So it's not unusual where let's say the balance of the loan, just greasy numbers. Let's say the balance of the, of the loan is a hundred thousand dollars. The property value is 125. So if I end up taking back that property, I can then sell that property at 125 and actually make even a little bit more money than I would have otherwise. And then does that extra money that you made, does that go into the return to the investors or does that stay with management? That actually stays with management. So in the fund, uh, we're offering 8% as a, as just a fly rate, something, you know, you can depend on and, and you know, what's coming and what's going. Uh, and the reason I like a lot of the performing loans is they're much easier for me to manage and much more predictable. Sure. The non-performers, if I do need to go with a foreclosure or something, it's a longer process. 
I have to pay attorneys to do with the filing and things like that. So that's, it's more complicated, more expensive. So it, like I say, it's not the, it's not the end of the world, but because of the extra work and while that goes back to others. And does the fund offer, like you said, is it offer a stated return or is there some upside? For mine, it's just to say the return is 8%. Okay. And then we do quarterly distributions at that. I see. Now you said it was a flat 8%. So is it 8% or is it up to 8%? No, it's 8%. Okay. Yeah. And I, that's a good question because I've had that before where there's a, so you mean maybe six or seven? No, 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 no 8%. It will be 8%, not up to. And how is that paid out? Is that paid out monthly, quarterly, annually, what? That's a quarterly distribution. And then as an investor, what kind of reporting is there? What, what would I expect to get and how often? So each quarter with that statement, I would send out a statement with that, had some reporting and just some updates on what's happening and what maybe to come to expect in the next few months. But every quarter you'll get a report that goes along with that payment. And then as far as annual tax reporting, what do I get? Do I get a 1099 or do I get a K1 or what? So the fund is structured as a limited partnership. So I would refer them back to you <laughs> to determine <laughs> what exactly they need. And then, uh, and then I'm happy to provide whatever. Yeah. That's going to be a K1. sounds like mm -hmm. if it's a limited okay. partnership. Yeah. Okay. K1 it is. And what's the, what's the average turnover time of properties in your portfolio? So on a, on a performing note, we buy that and they're just making payments. Uh, so. As far as the turnaround time on that, there's not really a turnaround. As soon as we purchase it, we're starting to collect payments the very next month. For the non-performers, on average, it's about 13 months. And, and that, you know, that varies across all the different states, all the different kinds of situations that we run into, but that's been my historical average is 13 months. It sounds like the investor wouldn't have to worry about all of that if, if it's a flat 8% return every year, quarter over quarter. That's exactly it. Yeah. I, I, my ultimate goal with setting up the fund is I want to take out the roller coaster of investing for investors where I actually am the one that takes on that risk. Uh, but the, in the, in the fund itself, we're doing 70% performing and 30% non-performing and that 70% performing portion, uh, covers that 8% easily. And then some that covers uh, any office expenses. And then really I make my money on the non-performing on that 30% of the non-performers. And, and then what's the life of the fund? Is there a, a certain, I mean, does the fund expire at a certain date or is it gone indefinitely? That's a good question. Yeah. This is a five year term on this, on this fund. Uh, and then once that's done, do it again. And then whoever else roll over. I'm more than happy to take, take them on again and help make some more money. But, uh, but for this fund specifically, it's five years. So if I invest today and if I'm still there in five years, then what happens to the assets that are still in the fund at the end of the five years? Are they liquidated or, or are they what, what happens? Right. They're liquidated. The loans themselves would be liquidated, um, more, uh, more likely than not, they would just be sold into the next fund. Okay. And then whatever you get for that, I guess, gets distributed to the, um, to the investors until they get back what their original investment or what? Correct. They would get back their original investment, uh, and then have, they've been collecting that 8% every year. 
as well. Okay. Okay. What's uh, so as far as the fund is concerned, what's the mi- minimum investment? So minimum investment with me is 50,000 and then a maximum is a million. Uh, and this is a small fund. It's a $5 million fund. Uh, and we're still at the beginning stages of raising that capital. So I'm, I'm excited and eager to get people in so we can, uh, go out and start purchasing. Okay. And then also you had mentioned to me once before, when you were down here for the Dallas dental show last year, that, um, you have an event that you're sponsoring in, uh, Tennessee, I believe in Nashville. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's right. I'm excited doing this where I took over a, a conference and, uh, who knew that you could own a conference, right? Now I'm, I'm the host and owner of this conference. It's called the Denver diversified mortgage expo. And that's happening June 2nd and 3rd in Nashville. And it's my first time putting this on, but it's, this is the eighth annual for this conference. Is this something you'll continue doing in the future? I think I will. You know, I'm actually really having a good time preparing for it. Um, I've been attending conferences since 2009 and, uh, I've been on that side of the fence. I've exhibited at different conferences. I've spoken at different conferences, uh, and this is my first time hosting but I've put on big events, so I'm not too worried about it. But anyway, it's, it's been a lot of fun putting it together. Uh, and it's going to be a great meeting place for people that are interested in notes or already in notes, seller finance professionals, creative finance people coming out and just getting together, discussing and doing deals. And, uh, we've got an ax throwing event that we're doing the night before, like all kinds of fun things that are just going to be, uh, just a good time. And, And you would expect, uh, I guess you're expecting investors to be there as well? Yeah, investors, no professionals, kind of just a meeting place for everybody who wants to be involved. Wow, so axe throwing, huh? That sounds fun. Yeah, it does. What are you going to do, like put non-performing notes up on the wall and and (laughs) try to throw axes at them? It's actually really fun. All right, is there anything else you want to tell us about your company or... What a potential investor should consider in getting into your fund. I think the thing to consider is, uh, you know, you can do notes on your own. There is a steep learning curve. There's a, it's not quite like real estate. It's real estate related, but it's not quite the same thing. There are a lot of additional rules and regulations that you need to be aware of. Um, so it's a fantastic business. And if you want to devote some real time and energy to it, absolutely. You can get into it and start doing it on your own. Uh, if you are a dentist and have your own busy practice and think, oh, this sounds really great, <laughs> but I'm swamped, then this is, this is really what this is built for. This fund is to help those kind of folks out that want to have something that they can have as a predictable income every quarter without having to learn something new. Well, and I've got one other question. If I'm an investor and if I put in, let's say the minimum investment, $50,000, when do I start getting my 8% return? Great question. So the 8% starts accruing right away. First payment is anticipated to be third quarter. Okay. Third quarter of this year or just third quarter after I put my money in? Third quarter after you put your money in. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And and like I say, that 8% has been accruing, so we'll chop you up as soon as that's possible and keep you going. Okay. So Ash, you have any more questions for Nathan? Yeah. I I was just wondering about uh, maybe early withdrawal of the original investment. I mean, what if somebody wants to 
pull out in two years? Yeah, I early withdraw. So because of because of the nature of the investment with the uh, with the notes, uh, it's not terribly liquid. Uh, so in order to kind of protect everybody, but still allow people to withdraw early if they need to, we've set it up so that you can take your money out, but it will pay that back over the course of one year. So we'll pay a quarter of whatever you invested each quarter for a year. Okay. To get your pay back. And then is there a minimum time before somebody can get out? I mean, the example Ash gave was, you know, somebody wants to get out after two years. What if, you know, somebody wants to get out after one year? Yeah, one year is the is the minimum time frame. Okay. Uh, and then, yes, like we said, it's a fine return. So it would be like putting in money and saying, hey, I want to get out tomorrow. Yeah, I know, right? That's <laughs> stupid, but... Right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. okay. no, and it's not a get-rich-quick. This is not a... There's, there's nothing gimmicky about this. I kind of wish there was sometimes, but, <laughs> but it, it's one of the, it's a real business. It takes real time and, and effort. And so, uh, so I, I hope that people understand that, that it's, it's not something that just. Well, I guess the, uh, the gimmicky part, the challenging part is you, uh, selecting the portfolio and getting That's that right. right balance between the, uh, performing and the non-performing notes. You can't get too non-performing, too many non-performing notes. Right. Our rate. Yeah. And, and even, yeah, so that, that becomes my responsibility on, but like we said, worst case, we see another 2008 happen that way more down defaulted than we ever could have anticipated. And uh, we got those properties as our, as our backup. And then one last question before we end this episode, just would you say with the current way the market is, this would be an excellent time to invest? And something like this. Yeah. You know, here's the cool thing with notes is like I say, uh, because of the nature of it, rising interest rates for us are actually good news. Um, defaults for us is actually good news. Uh, if, if we have a huge wave of defaults, I would probably open our fund specifically for non-performing notes where we would offer a little bit more with the understanding that, uh, the timing won't be quite as predictable with the quarterly distributions. What it boils down to is it's actually good news. So when the economy is doing well, we do well. When the economy is doing poor, we actually do better. I see. Okay. See, that's good to know. Oh, there was, you know what? There was one other thing I wanted to mention for anybody who is looking to invest. One thing to think about, this is a fantastic IRA investment. You can pull money out of your IRA and stick it in here, set it and forget it for five years. And it's a, it's a great place to park your money from your ARA. Good to know that's another option for clients. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we appreciate you agreeing to be on today. We look forward to seeing you in the future sometime. And I wish you luck at your uh, conference where you're headed now. Very good. Thanks so much. Sure. And for our interested listeners and maybe potential investors, if they want to get in touch with you regarding the Nashville uh, conference or just with you in particulars, how, how would they go about that? Uh, you can call or email me. My cell phone is 312-860-3747. Uh, or you can email me directly at Nathan at ErnestInvesting.com. Sounds great. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Nathan. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you. All right. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond by Wings on your favorite podcast platform. 
For more information, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or reach out to us on our website. You can also shoot us an email at info at eandassociates.com.